Hello and welcome to episode 337 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and this week, just like last week, our topic is Tales of Exilia. We have three panelists, including me, that have beaten the game and are ready to talk about it. Uh, but who are the other two? They are the same as last week. Audra Bullock. Hello, hello. And Zach Wilkerson. Howdy. Audra and Zach, uh, we have all finished Tales of Exilia and are, and are ready to talk about it. Um, some of us far in advance, looking at you, Zach, and some by the skin of our teeth, uh, as I nervously adjust myself in my in my chair here. Uh, I, I finished the game less than 24 hours ago. Zach finished it something like three weeks ago. But uh, now that we've all beaten it, and it was the first time playing it through for all three of us, what are our overall impressions? Uh, starting with you, Zach. Overall, I was very impressed. Um, you know, I think that every Tales of game that I've played all the way through recently, which is, I guess, just Berseria and Arise, both did something better than Zillia. Like, I thought Arise's combat was much better. I thought Berseria's story was better. But overall, like, as a, as a total package, um, I thought that it had great characters. The combat was fun. The exploration, I thought, was just engaging enough. Um, the combat was breakable, which I always like, um, and it had some twists and turns that I didn't really see coming. Um, and so, yeah, I, I thought overall it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a good game. All right, Audra, same question to you. Uh, this is your first Tales of game, if my memory serves from the previous episode. So what were your overall impressions afterwards? I actually really liked it. I'm kind of glad that it's my first Tales game. It was a really enjoyable game overall. I love the characters, and it was just awesome. Right, and well, uh, I guess I'm much a bit more of a of a tales old head than either of you. We probably established that in the previous episode a little bit, but uh, this is, I think, my eighth tales game, if I if my math is right. And I'm a little annoyed at myself for uh, waiting so long to play it, because this is really one of the good ones. It, uh, I felt that the, the combat was good, the story was good, the mythology they set up was at least interesting. Um, I, 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 the characters were likable, or at least, you know, likable enough that you could feel the party that you don't hate, uh, which is not, not always true in, in, in RPGs like this. And, and, and yeah, it's kind of like, it has anime tropes and, uh, and, you know, RPG things that maybe make you roll your eyes a little bit. But overall, this is a very, very good game. And, like, it also... <laughs> Maybe PS3 games are just better than I, better looking than I remember because I thought that the the character models are really clean in this one. Yeah, I like the uh, all the character models. Um, and in terms of like the look, the thing that actually impressed me the most was the load times in this game were like non-existent, and that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of a video game I've played from that era that didn't have load times, and I would like load from like one side of the world to another planet. Like, oh, I'm there immediately. It was uh, mm -hmm. so, yeah, I love the character models, but I really like the load times. <laughs> you know, that didn't occur to me, but that's definitely true. I was I was never annoyed by a load time in this game. So they were either uh, non-existent or very, very minimal, uh, which which I guess means is just a way of saying this is a well optimized, well optimized, well engineered game as well as being largely enjoyable. Um, Audra, did you have any major technical difficulties with uh, playing it? Because I mean, all of us play this on a PS3 because that's the only way you legally can play this game. No, actually, that was once Zach mentioned the load times. I was like, oh yeah, I did not have any, so it played really great for me. Maybe unfairly, uh, people will uh, that are fans of JRPGs 
consider the PS3 a bit of a dark time or the PS3 and 360 a bit of a dark time because they, they just, there just weren't as many uh, as many classics or bangers as you think of from the PS2 or even the PS4 era, I, I, I think. But this is... Uh, Exeli is an exception. This is a really, really good RPG in an era that was not the best time for R- for JRPGs. So that, that that that's another I think feather in the tails cap here. Like it's it this game stands out because it's just really solid all around, is a good entry in a long series and there weren't a ton of great other JRPGs at the time. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah. Um I mean, I I can think of maybe one or two other really good ones in the PS3 um in, in terms of like straight JRPGs. Um, yeah. one on the 360 and then obviously Xenoblade on the Wii, if you're considering that part of the same generation. But the thing that I think is impressive about it is like that they were able to, they, they were bringing out so many tales of games at the time. Um, just like the pace of it. And like, we're talking like some classics, uh, to a lot of people. Um, I mean, coming right off of Abyss, you've got Vesperia, you've got this one, Grace's F, which I know a lot of people say good things about the combat with, like the fact that they were still so productive, um, I think is something that's probably a little bit overlooked um, and that they still like met a pretty high bar of quality. Yeah. Uh, going by Japanese release dates, they base uh, Namco Tales Studio was basically just developing a game on each system. You have uh, Vesperia on the 360 and 07, then Grace's on the Wii in 09, and then Zillia on the PS3 in 2011. And, and so they, like they were trying, they, they were testing the waters of each of those ecosystems. And eventually Vesper, uh, Vesperia got a PS3 port that was Japan only. Grace's F got its PS3 point. Uh, sorry, Grace's got its PS3 port, Grace's F, which was released internationally. And then uh, we the Vesperia remake has all the stuff from the PS3 extras. Like, like th- this era was pretty good for Tales, although there weren't a lot of other uh amazing jrpgs at the same time next month we are going to be playing a different one of those jrpgs for the ps3 but but really i do remember that era of me being me getting really deep into mass effect and dragon age among other things oh yeah (laughs) and uh so and and that was around when my uh the tail end of it is around when my diablo 3 uh obsession began so like i i don't remember the 360 wii ps3 era being amazing for jrpgs but Tales of Exilia is really good. So I th- th- that was just me being, I don't know, me being stubborn or or, or slow and not, not getting to it fast enough. But uh, enough about the generalities of uh, Tales of Exilia. We didn't get uh, very far in the plot in the previous episode. We got towards the end of Act 1. Um, but And I don't want the rest of this episode to be just a recap of the plot, but we're going to explore some of the themes by recapping the plot. So... Buckle up. Uh, at, at the very end of Act 1, um, around where I stopped playing the game at, at our previous episode, was uh, the team discovers a human experimentation lab just outside of Sherilton. Uh, they, they plan to confront King Noctigal about it. The mayor, the, gar- the governor of Sherilton, who's, uh, oh wow, what's his name? I, R- Rowan's uh, master, who looks, like, who looks like he's 19 years old. Drizelle's brother, right? Uh, Klein or Clive? Klein. That's Klein. 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 Yeah, yeah, Klein with a C. That's it. Yeah, Klein gets assassinated by a royal assassin, and um, that really and uh, and not long after that, I think uh, Elise, uh, Mila, and Drizelle get 
captured. Correct. They get captured and sent to Fort Gondola. So I think if you're on the uh, if you're on the Mila half of the story, which Audra was, um, you like basically or- orchestrate uh, Mila's prison break. But if you're on the Jude storyline, which Zach and I were, you have Jude, Rowan, and 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 yeah, and Alvin break into the prison to try and rescue her. So that and that's the sort of last dungeon in Act One. Um, it's a little confusing. There's a lot of elevators. There's a lot of block pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, but, but at the end of it, you, uh, confront King Noctigal. He is crazy powerful. He, uh, he attacks Mila, uh, badly injuring her. And the, that chapter of the story ends with Jude, uh, like trying to help Mila recover first in Sherilton. And then when that doesn't work out, he gets the idea to maybe take her to his hometown so his family clinic can look after her. And, and, uh, so Audra, I have a question directly for you. How did the Mila half of this story, part of the story go? Well, it's basically you play as Mila trying to break out of the dungeon with Drizelle and Elise, but Elise isn't a party member because they took... um, They took Tipo? They took Tipo away for experimentation at that point. So it's basically Mila just doing everything on her own. (laughs) Which kind of... It makes it really think of mila as being very kick butt but i mean i've heard there's a fight later in the game that mila has to go through that is insanely difficult because you have to solo it um i think it might be a t- the tougher path actually <laughs> from what oh, i've heard yeah. there are a couple solo sequences with jude um but they like like the ones towards the end of the game whenever you're soloing they only give you enemies as just ones or twos instead of instead of giant packs of four or more like in uh like when you have a full party so was that how it was in Fort Gondola? Because I remember that, you know, that being a medium annoying dungeon. Uh, Pretty much. I think there was maybe three groups of three enemies at times. I kind of utilized quick save a lot. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, the, 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 just from that comment alone, it sounds like Mila's path was the more challenging of the two. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if, if, if I ever do that, it'll probably be through New Game Plus. So, yeah, challenge gone. Um <laughs> Can, can but, we talk about the obsession with this game with block puzzles, though? Yeah. <laughs> it's like someone discovered them, and they were just like, well, we're just going to give you about 700 of them. And eventually I'm like, because I couldn't, because I didn't realize there were lifts inside of the rooms in there. It's like I was like super confused. Uh, but just like so many block puzzles. Like, I, I stop? <laughs> the, the visual indicators are not always great in this game. And like, I, I couldn't figure out I was supposed to interact with an item or, or a feature in the game until I like, was practically throwing my body against the wall that held it or something. I activated one of those lifts by accident. And it's like, oh, okay, there's there's an elevator here. I didn't see that. Right. That's how I discovered it too. Yeah, it's <laughs> a trial and error. Yeah, it, it, same same with me. So it was uh and a lot of Tales games have dumb puzzles in them. Like I there I think I, I feel like every single Tales game has to have a sewer dungeon and has to have a puzzle where you fire a laser and have to adjust a pattern of mirrors to have the laser reach a destination. I was amazed that Zillia didn't have one of those. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a, a, there was a little bit too much pushing around blocks and then climbing on blocks to either get a treasure chest or to get to a vent. Uh, if this game was made in 2021 and not 2011, they would probably have have the wall features. Uh, that you're supposed to interact with glowing or something mm-hmm. because they're just, they're yeah. just better at, at that kind of thing nowadays. But a couple times I was, I, I couldn't figure out a puzzle because of 
not seeing where the door was or not seeing what the interactive yeah. element was. I, none of them are challenging, but yeah, just like my ability to see what the mm-hmm. game wanted me to see was a struggle at times. <laughs> and sometimes combat gets busy and Jude has so much forward momentum with his attacks. I would accidentally kill something and then keep doing a combo and be like facing the wrong direction <laughs> and, and across the street screen from my next target <laughs> in the, in the middle of, of fights. But that's a, you know, I, I clearly just haven't played enough Marvel versus Capcom to get used to on-screen busyness. <laughs> but uh, but after that dungeon, um, uh, Mila has a, a bad leg injury and and perhaps paralysis even on the lower half of her body. But she still is like, I still need to destroy this, uh, the Lance of Kresnik. So she is dragging herself out of bed, trying to crawl to the door so she can continue her journey. But but Matt but uh, Jude talks her into seeing if. Uh, if she can get her uh, feeling restored to her legs. So they go to La Ronde, which is Jude's hometown, and he meets his uh, childhood friend, Leia, your sixth and final party member, who's working as a nurse at Jude's old clinic, which is run by his parents. And it, you get you see pretty early on that Jude has a, a, a very friendly, sweet mom and a bit of a jerk dad who <laughs> uh, is does, does, who barely registers Jude as a human, it seems. So it's like, like, what are you doing back from, from med? Why aren't you at med school? And <laughs> before even saying hello, nice to see you. <laughs> so yeah. then he kept talking about being an adult. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like he's like, he's such a jerk that like, it was hard for me to believe that the mom would react the way that she did to him sometimes. Cause he's just so horrible. Um, but I like how I, I like the, he, I, to me, he is like the least, I don't know, sympathetic character in the entire game. Whereas Leia, She's the best character in the game. Love Leia. Love her energy. Oh, love, love her in battle. Leia's love her family. versatility. Oh, she's so good. I like Leia, Leia a lot. Was great. Leia was one of the characters I used the most in this whole game, along mm-hmm. with uh, along with Jude, mm-hmm. Mila, and probably Rowan is fourth because uh, I mean she she can heal. She gets She has an item steal that's uh, that's easy to do if you just if you just pair her with someone that can that has a knockdown move, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, I think she's like sort of average in terms of physical combat, but just so useful by being the game's second best healer and, and having a good utility yeah. skill. Yeah. I mean, I, I threw Leia and Elise in my party, so I never had to worry about staying up and then like just yes. paired myself with Mila and then just hit the same move over and over and over was... again. And it worked pretty well for me. Jude, <laughs> Leia and Elise were my main party. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. Oh yeah, I I guess my I mentioned my one was Jude, Mila, uh, Leia, and Rowan. But sometimes for boss fights, I would swap out. Uh, I would swap out Rowan. Um, if, if I wanted more healing, I might put in Elise. Mm-hmm. But I but but that was mostly my party. And also, Jude has a uh, has a link art with both Leia and uh, Mila that can heal the entire party uh, easily. So if I, I, I had, I had good, I had an okay means of all heal, even with no Elise, but I had to use a link art. Uh, but, but uh, so um, Jude's father does look at Mila's legs, say it's impossible. And he doesn't want to use the meth, the, the Asperix method that he used in the past for another patient. But uh, Mila is so determined and Jude is so determined to help her that he goes and tries to use the Asperix method uh, uh, without his dad Turns out he needs a, a an item called a mana fossil. So him and Leia go into a mine uh, to collect the mana fossil. Uh, Mila's legs dramatically re- return to function at the at the boss fight for the mine. So you get it turns from a 
uh, you go from a two-person party to a three-person party very briefly, but the pain and intensity of the device is so great that Mila actually faints afterwards. And and when and when Jude returns, even though he was successful, like his dad greets him with a slap in the face because again, uh, Jude's dad is not is not the the most uh, like old guy. Fuzzy. No, he is not. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's going to make our list of best RPG dads for Father's Day next year. No. And shortly after that happens, uh, Rowan and Elise come to visit, uh, and, and after a three week time skip because Mila's undergoing rehab. And you're ready to move into act two of the story. But uh, what else do we have to say about this part here? Um, uh, Jude and Mila's relationship, uh, like Jude is sort of realizing that he's not really sh- uh, sure what he wants to do. Like cause he's, he's out of med school. He's a fugitive from the law. And all he really cares about right now is helping Mila. And this becomes a theme for the entire rest of the game. Like, what is your purpose? Uh, like, is there a point to what you're doing? Is is helping Mila really all that you want to do, or is just she making the decision for you, Jude? Which right. uh, is really interesting to me because we're gonna um, we're gonna talk about another character later who figures into that. But uh, and 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 Jude's journey, like, start, basically ends up with him sort of. It's it starts out with him sort of going along with Mila, uh, almost for the sake of it, with him making a conscious decision to help Mila it's the and which is also the best decision for the world and for him and that's the closest thing Jude has to an arc in this game uh but what what do you think about this like I I I think that the theme of of having a purpose and having a uh and 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 having ambition is a, a theme I, I wasn't really I was a little bit surprised by in Tales of Exilia, and you know what I'll I'll just I, I won't uh, be coy about it. Um, King Gaius, who is introduced pretty soon after this, is, is a person who has an unusual focus and drive that's maybe equal to Mila's, and mm-hmm. and and his ambition and purpose versus Mila's ambition and purpose clashing is what sets up part of the final conflict in Tales of Exilia. But uh, what, what did you think of? Well, uh, Jude's idea of a pr- of purpose versus Mila's idea of purpose, uh, at, at least in the first half of the game, which I know is a broad, broad question. But <laughs> I think it's interesting um, because I, I, I I'll admit that I early on had sort of a difficult time buying Jude, like Jude's decision making. I'm like, well, like you just literally just met her and like um, and she's like cold. And I'm like, do you, do you just think she's attractive? Is that why you're going with her? Um, but I think that they use it to good purpose eventually. Like, I think that Jude who early on in the game, I thought was pretty boring. Um, like beginning in like act three and act four, especially as you get that conflict between Gaius and Mila, um, and sort of him navigating the decision-making on that, you see some growth, um, and especially in some of his interactions with Alvin, I think, interestingly, um, sort of press him forward towards um, deciding who he's going to be. Um, and I think it's pretty well done. Um, and, and there's like that quote that they repeat over and over again about, I don't remember exactly, I'm paraphrasing, but like um, something about like determination is like knowing what, how to do what you want to do or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I feel like that's sort of like the thesis of the game. Um, and I think Jude is a pretty good representation of it, even if I think that the early moments are a little difficult for me to buy sometimes. I, I basically agree. And we're skipping ahead a little bit talking about King Gaius, but I think that 
it, it's a little unusual or remarkable that uh, that Mila is so focused and driven, and Gaius is so focused and driven, and they've surrounded themselves with very capable partners who are somewhat lost souls that that aren't focused and driven, and they decide by you know sort of choosing their leader or their sovereign in case of of Gaius to like by because this person is so great and so ambitious i am going to support this person like because um uh, i mean we've talked about jude already uh uh rowan and um and elise and alvin are all they're all keeping secrets from the player uh from the beginning um uh, we'll talk about Alvin later, but but Rowan was a close personal friend of King Noctigal in when they were both soldiers many years ago. Um, King Noctigal's uh, uh, si- uh, sister Carrie um, was also very close to Rowan, and if you, I think if you go to a couple scenes later in the game, it, it's implied that Rowan was in love with Carrie. I mean, you actually, if you follow a sub story, you'll actually meet her. Oh, yeah. Ooh. I didn't oh, get I, that. I, I, yeah. never got there. I never got there. Damn. On Olympias, you'll actually meet her. Um, turns out that she, during the whole exile thing, um, got transported over there and lost her memory. Um, and oh, and Ro- Rowan oh, meets wow. her over there. Yeah. Yeah. They thought that she died in an accident, but I, I didn't. Wow. I never mm-hmm. found Carrie. Now, now I really want to go back and oh, see yeah. if I can figure that out. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of the last sub stories you can do. You have to really go back and forth a lot right before yeah. the final yeah, battle. I just <laughs> got the, um, the reveal when Rowan reveals that they were together or had a relationship mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. yeah i i never got there uh, but towards the end of the uh, of the game i really really wanted to finish it in time for this recording so <laughs> i didn't sense. uh so i uh i i probably did skip some end game stuff uh, i know there's at least two or three optional dungeons i didn't do i mean honestly like there's a lot of really really good character work in the sub stories of this game so much so that I wish they had made more of it like required like with Alvin yes. and with Rowan and Leia um, in particular, I feel like um, you get to know them so much better than sub stories. I didn't see all of them, but I, I managed to do most of them. And I thought that they were some of the best moments in the game. I mean, I, I like those characters, even though I didn't see all the sub stories, yeah. but, but going back to Rowan, like Rowan had this relationship with King Noctil and, and, and princess Carrie uh, but then when Princess Carrie died, or at least I assumed she died, it looks like that she was transported to Olympios. That uh, it, it basically, like, like Rowan lost all of his drive and King Noctigal sort of descended into darkness and became a bit of a despot. When before he was a military man, but basically a good a good leader and a good king, or at least uh, Rowan implies that, before uh, b- before he sort of descended into darkness. And some people, including uh, Gaius's colleague Wingle, like accuse Rowan of, of, of letting King Noctigal yeah. fall, which is, which seems pretty messed up to me. It's like, 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 like King Noctigal became a horrible dictator because of King Noctigal. <laughs> but, but uh, the Sometimes implication it was Rowan's fault. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But Rowan blames himself and other people blame Rowan, which is I think still unfair. But the idea was mm-hmm. that uh, the, like, like Rowan was a little directionless and was happy, happy to be the butler of an aristocrat in a different town in the kingdom instead of being the like the right hand of the king that he that he was in their military days and uh and Alvin like I was joking that I didn't know what organization that Alvin belonged to and I'm sure he was going to betray the party in the previous episode it turns out Alvin had been playing every side from the beginning um mm-hmm. uh, he is working with a terrorist group called Exodus which is introduced in Act two that has been trying to kill Mila for several years he is giving information to both uh to, to I think both Rashagal and Ojul uh and and at one point, 
betrays the party to one or both of those. And then there's a, an even grosser uh, uh, betrayal towards the end of the game that we'll talk about later. But basically, Alvin, because he's so because he's so whimsical and directionless, he sort of has all been working as a mercenary and playing multiple sides for probably decades. So like like these kinds of characters, uh, like uh, the, these characters that that either lack direction or lack certainty. They part of why they latch on to Mila, or at least especially why Jude latches on to Mila, is because she does have this certainty and this ambition that uh, that is impressive to them. And also, her mission is about protecting humans and spirits and saving the world, and that uh, all and that appeals to Jude and Rowan and others, I'm sure. But uh, a little bit later, I mean, you, I mean, you travel to a, a country called Zhang, called Xiandu. Uh, Rowan's plan is to use uh, because you, he can't cross the marsh like he was originally originally thought he could because of the the spirit climbs being weird uh their plan is to try and get a wyvern from shandu and then fly back to Ra- to rashigal to confront king noctigal uh but uh, sort of on the way to getting those wy- wyverns and doing shandu you also learn about elise's past by going to this uh th- this ruined abandoned laboratory uh where where she remembers living as a child and that's where you learn about the uh the truth about um about tipo and zach you mentioned that Tipo was briefly briefly taken from the party uh, at, at Fort Gondola. Um, oh, yes, I, he is. I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Audra mentioned that, not Zach. Right. But I think what happened here is that um, King Noctigal's advisor, uh, uh, Gilland, probably looked at Tipo, realized Tipo was a booster, and then ordered his people to capture Tipo later in Shandu. Because what, what happens is. Um, Tipo's kidnapped, uh, like while they're trying to draw out Exodus in Shandu, because Exodus uh, tries to poison Mila, ends up poisoning like twenty other people instead, which is I don't know, pretty messed up. Uh, they they think that that Exodus is trying to uh, to kill Mila, but instead, when Mila sort of goes out as bait for at, at a Colosseum battle for to maybe draw out Exodus, they kidnap Elise and Tipo instead. Uh, and and Alvin goes after them, so the, everyone in the party besides Alvin and um, uh, and 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 Elise goes out to goes out to rescue them. But it looks, but it turns out what uh, what happened when you find them, uh, Elise, Elise is totally despondent because they rep- they took out uh, Tipo's like memory chip or something. Um, and, and I think, and we, we learn much, much later. Gilland is the uh, is the leader of Exodus. Uh, spoiler alert! <laughs> but I think that Gilland noticed something about Tipo in Fort Gondola, and then, and then later tells Exodus to capture Tipo in in Jandu, and that leads to what happens with Gilland and uh, and summoning a Spyrex at the end of Act Two. I mean, we also find out that the woman who greets you when you first arrive in Jandu oh, yes. uh, was the person who originally sort of kidnapped um, Elise um, and yeah, put she- her through the experiments. And she's also the woman who's like taking care of Alvin's mother. Um, and mm-hmm. she's sort of being blackmailed by Exodus. Um, so I-, I think it's possible that maybe she's the one who fared that information elsewhere, but I'm, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I-, I don't know if she knows about Tipo the way that the people in Gondola would have known yeah, about that's Tipo. Fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but she was definitely a human trafficker and delivered Elise to that laboratory, uh, and, and but is trying to put that life behind her. But that that past life is being uh, she was blackmailed by Exodus to do it uh, into doing this. I, for a while, I thought maybe she also poisoned the 
everyone in the Coliseum, but I don't, I don't think she did. That was probably just Exodus agents. Um, be, and they, and they mentioned that Exodus infiltrated the judges of the, uh, of the Coliseum competition, which allowed them to, you know, put Mila into it. Yeah. To uh, arrange for Mila to have to fight, you know, a horde of people on her own <laughs> to the death. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, oh, now, uh, instead of having teams now it's single combat only, and it's to the death and Mila, you have to fight for your team. <laughs> You're sure this isn't rigged, but yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of corruption in Shandu and you learn about Exodus for the first time. And you learn not a little bit afterwards that, uh, King Gaius's a- uh, aide who might've even might've even been uh, Rowan's replacement is the leader of Exodus. But uh, it, it ends up with you. You do get uh, get permission to use some wyverns, but uh, before you can fly out, you have to meet the king of Ojul, who is the aforementioned King Gaius. He is the uh, he is in the official snow town of this game. Pause for a second here. Uh, sure. The advisor that led Exodus was Noctigal's advisor, right? Yeah, Noctigal's yes. advisor. Okay, cool. Yeah, his, his name was Gil. He was, he was introduced as Gilland, but then they you learn later his name is some very convoluted uh, Olympian name. Okay, cool. So I wanted to make um, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Did I was I unclear about that before? I think I thought you were saying that it was Gaius's advisor, but I could have misheard. Oh, maybe so. I mis- maybe I misspoke. <laughs> All right, so right, so uh, uh, Gilland is the leader of Exodus who orchestrated a lot of the what's going on in Act Two. But in uh, in in the the capital, oh, it starts with the K. Is it like Kandambar or something? Kabandar. I should have written this down. I honestly don't remember. <laughs> Kandalar. Okay, I wasn't. I wasn't that far off. Kandalar. All right. So, so my mistake. Uh, uh, king Gaius is the king of Ojul, and uh, he rules from the capital, uh, Kandalar, which is a, a snowy area in the mountains, um, remarkably close to Jandu, which is a desert uh, city in, in, in a canyon, but I hadn't but, thought about that. <laughs> well, well, I mean, they do make it pretty clear that, uh, the climate of the entire world is bananas because of, uh, of spirit activity, creating spirit climbs. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, so that's how you have a snow kingdom and a desert kingdom so close together. It's why there's all, it, it's why it's always nighttime in, uh, in Fenmont, uh, while, and, and maybe it's always daytime in, <laughs> In in Sheraton, for all I know, but uh, actually, no. There are scenes, there are night scenes at Sheraton, so that's definitely not true. We don't have a uh, Shadowbringers scenario on our hands. But at Conblard, you meet Gaius, and you meet his, uh, a few of his uh, of his lieutenants, who are called the Chimeriad, uh, basically four very powerful warriors that uh, that are with him at all times. Uh, one uh, Zhao, the uh, the large bandit who was. Um, uh elisa's keeper in the in in the town of hamill earlier in the game he's one of them um the lady in the ridiculous fishnets that you fought in the in the reef area pressa is another one of them uh, a very stoic man uh with a katana named wingle is a third of them uh, and you don't learn this till later but the fourth one of them is the crazy lady in the red dress that you fought in the laboratory near the very beginning of the game so uh, like yeah gaius and uh his four lieutenants are sort of the like a named and numbered group of of uh, of the tales game of this of tales of exilia which is you know something i love in a lot of tales games but gaius is so determined and focused and stern that it's a little alarming like it's like he is an overwhelming character in a way but uh he commands so much loyalty and respect from his uh his uh from his subjects and others that you can tell he's going to be important uh but mm-hmm. so i have to i have to ask uh 
especially Audra, because you finished more recently than Zach did. What was your impression of Gaius, this, the whole Gaius experience? I thought he was a really interesting character at first. I was like, oh, so is he going to be, I was like, I bet you're going to fight him at some point, but I didn't realize the level of how they'd involve that in the story. <laughs> pleasantly surprised. I was pleasantly surprised with like the later plot reveals about him and the later acts and stuff that you kind of team up and then they go into the fighting later. It was an interesting, I thought he was an interesting character. So, uh, uh, Zach, um, I guess before, before, not quite going into endgame stuff, uh, what were your impressions and feelings about Gaius? I mean, I think early on, he is, as you said, he's really imposing. Um, and I I guess I, I spoiled myself a little bit on Zillia 2 um, in terms of what his role there was. So I was a little surprised um, by how antagonistic he is early on. Um, and, you know, it, you were talking about him with Mila earlier um, and in terms of how um, they both have such determination. Um, but I think that, you know, sometimes the distinction between he and Mila is that what he's doing seems, I guess, more selfish in some ways. And I feel like that you can make the argument that, that makes him a really good leader. But I think that you can see how he would be an effective and imposing king and like some of the most difficult boss battles in the entire game. Um, and so far as there are difficult boss battles in this game <laughs> um, are against Gaius. And I think they do a good job of communicating his power through that. It's one of my favorite things that RPGs do when they make like a boss, like way harder than everybody else. And I think it's really cool. They did that with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it uh, creates an intimidation factor in a way, like from the mm-hmm. beginning, you can tell Gaius is a big deal. And mm-hmm. in your early fights with him, it's it's communicated very clearly that this is this guy is, is powerful. Mm-hmm. You know he's going to be trouble. And uh, you meet Gaius's sister in a series of uh, of side mm-hmm. quests. Her name's Carla, but you d- she, she doesn't indicate that her uh, that her brother that she talks about who won the uh, Colosseum uh, ba- battles at age fourteen. <laughs> uh, uh, she just she's just, she's a little bit coy that her brother is Gaius, and you have to you know, figure that out from other, uh, from other sub stories, but, uh, we're going to get back to Gaius, I promise. But at the end of act two is, um, is you, uh, leaving Kanbalar, uh, taking, uh, getting a wyvern flying across the sea and, uh, finally get returning to Fenmont to challenge King, uh, Noctigal. Now, I-, I hope I'm not getting this in the wrong order here, but they, uh, when you return to Fenmont, first you try to find the Lance of Kresnik in the laboratory, but it's gone. And then you run into Agria, the uh, the final member of the Chimeriad that we uh, mentioned before, uh, the woman in the red dress. Uh, she instantly has a dislike towards Leia, which is which is weird, but kind of expected because whenever you have these kinds of na- groups of named people in the Tales game, they have to correspond to one of the heroes every every time. So, <laughs> so Agria Agria is paired up with Leia. Uh, Pressa has a relationship with Alvin, so they're paired together. Uh, Roan is paired up with Wingle because Wingle. Uh, thinks of Rowan as like as like a failed version of himself and then uh uh but and then Gaius and a certain other character we haven't met yet compare uh correspond to Mila and Jude but so you meet up with you meet up with Agria again uh she indicates that the lance was brought into the into the castle you storm the castle have a uh, you know, deal with a, um, you know, a, a dungeon that has teleportering pods in it, but it's not nearly the uh, as obnoxious a teleporter dungeon as I've experienced in the past. That's the truth. We, we've all, I'm sure all three <laughs> of us have had some rough teleporter dungeons oh, over yes. the years. 
this one wasn't so bad. Uh, Zach, the, the less we talk about that portion of uh, of, of Nocturne, the better. Oh, I, I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> but So uh, you, you do end up challenging King Noctigal. He's a, a boss fight. He's been using the booster technology that uh, that Leia was involved in over the years. Oh, we didn't mention this before. Uh, the experiments Leia was involved in as a kid ended up her being paired up with uh, with Tipo, who is a sent who is not a semi sentient he is a semi sentient doll, but he's also a booster that enhances someone's mana lobes. So from her having this doll for almost her entire life, say ten years, has is is how she accelerated into an advanced magic user because because she had a a mana boosting device at her side for her almost her entire life. And Tipo isn't a hundred percent sentient, but his uh. Like, like his memory syncs up to his user's memory. Mm. So Tipo's, uh, maybe not his personality, but his speech is just saying what things that Elise is thinking out loud. <laughs> Which, and once you learn that, like everything Tipo says is taken into a crazier context. And for, <laughs> sure and, yeah, and, and, uh, and, and for a while, Tipo is a little bit more muted, which completely devastates poor Elise. Uh, she's unable to, uh, forgive Alvin for all the lying he's doing and uh, and in part blames him for what has happened to her, which is not totally fair on her part, but it's definitely fair that she uh, that she is suffering and sad, even though she has a, a an extremely kind support support system around her. There's even a pretty heartbreaking scene where she challenge where she she says some horrible things to Leia for being oh, like yeah. a for being like a late joining party member that isn't contributing, it, which is which you know Leia has a bit of a complex about. Uh, but they they get over it mostly uh but it it is sort of crazy that tipo and tipo eventually gets the personality that he had uh at the beginning of the game but it takes but it takes some time and you it's basically like losing your memory card full of all of your game saves even though you still have your games and can can eventually (laughs) make new game saves all that time and and investment and memories are gone it's look i'm just saying that as someone who has lost save data or memory cards, I, I'm, I was feeling for Elisa. That <laughs> yeah. And she didn't get to choose like in near Automata. So I understand. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, fast forward back to the end of act two in tales of Exilia. Uh, they, they storm the castle, they defeat King Noctigal and right around when Noctigal is like up close to reconciling with Rowan, he gets stabbed by giant ice spears uh, with, with two voices in the background uh, commanding, commanding it to, to, uh, to do so and you learn later that it's gilland and celsius and we will talk about them very soon but that uh but but that uh the king's death does leave um Rashigal in in chaos somewhat uh rowan sort of steps in gives some orders to hopefully stabilize things but uh act three uh o- opens up with uh w- well I, I, maybe this is still the end of act two um you, you you sort of learn that uh, that uh, Noctigal had sent forces over to Ojul for a large scale battle, uh, and 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 uh, Rowan sort of uh, you know does some political maneuvering so f- to have you join the battlefield there. Uh, it, so it looks like that King Gaius's forces and the Rashigal forces are going to have a lo- a knocked out a knockdown drag out fight uh, with the Lance of Kresnik at the center of it all using and. and um, so there's a, a sec, I forget the name of it, but it's, it's, it's like Fenzen Marsh or something. It's, it's something Marsh. Fezabel Marsh. I think. That sounds right. Maybe. So at, at, uh, at, at Fezabel Marsh, uh, there's a sequence where your team uh, 
again and you can get right you get right to the strategy table thanks to thanks to Rowan but your team basically cruises across the marsh uh with the Rashgal forces uh one of the Rashgal for uh some of the Rashgal forces turn against you on Gillen's orders so you're fighting Rashgal people and Ojul people <laughs> left and right uh and uh and and end up at the lands of Kresnik um there's a boss fight against um against the entire Chimeriad or or is it just three members of the Chimeriad I think it's three members. Yeah, yeah, just three members of the Chimeriad, and then a solo fight against Gaius. Um, and uh, you do have to win that Chimeriad battle, or at least I think you do. But uh, you don't have to win against Gaius because Gaius killed me when I when I fought him. <laughs> yeah, he killed me too. I, I got I think, lucky. <laughs> I think if I had some better, if I had a better, uh, some better healers on my team, I could have done it because I, I did get him to. I, I was doing okay until I died, but instead of. But instead of uh, instead of reloading a save or maybe trying again, they just the story kept on going. <laughs> but uh, and you know, uh, while we're here, there's something I want to mention. Uh, this happens in this fight, and also a fight against that you have against Preza and Wingull teamed up earlier on. Um, enemies can link with each other in this mm. game, mm-hmm. and so the link system that you that you employ to do linked arts and double techs and. Uh, and, and special moves, uh, certain enemies can take advantage of it as well. Uh, it, it's mostly the Chimeriad people and, and, and Gaius eventually. But I, I thought that was kind of cool, that the game's systems that you're employing against all the enemies, sometimes they turn it on you a little bit. I thought that was a cool feature. Mm-hmm. I, I actually kind of wish they had done a little bit more of it. Um, I was, those were the most challenging fights, um, where with, I, it was multiple enemies who could link up. Those were the ones that I, I struggled with a little bit. I thought they were really fun. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I wouldn't have minded more as well. Uh, in general, the Lance of Kresnik, uh, we've believed it's a weapon of mass destruction this whole time. It, it, it sort of is, but it's more complicated than that. Um, Gaius wants to control it so that he can uh, so that he can eventually take out uh, Rashigal and rule the world, uh, but but rule a just world. Um, Noctigal wants to use it, wanted, or before he died, wanted to use it like a weapon of mass destruction, although his uh, intentions were less noble than Gaius's. But uh, but Gilland, who reveals himself as the leader of Exodus and the person that's been orchestrating all of the Spyrex stuff, instead what Gilland uses the the Lance of Kresnik for is to pierce a hole through a barrier in the sky called the Schism that I don't think has been mentioned at all the entire game until now. Nope, not uh, once. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so so he fires off the Lance, the player is led to believe this is a weapon of mass destruction and it might destroy, I don't know, a, a city in Ojul or something. But what happens is it pierces a hole in this in this invisible barrier in the sky and out of the hole come streaming airships and tanks full of high-tech soldiers, <laughs> which I was not expecting. I had um, so many questions. <laughs> yeah, th- 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 this was an I have several questions moment, you could say. Like, it's like, well, wait a second. I didn't know that this was this kind of game. But uh, these high tech soldiers show up. Uh, everyone is ordered to retreat. Um, the uh, I think some of the soldiers probably died because when when the Lance of Kresnik was powering up its shot, it drained the, uh, the mana of a lot of people nearby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, your party and Gaius's party survived because they're all really powerful mana users while maybe the rest of the soldiers aren't and then suddenly just a bunch of soldiers with like airships and arm cannons appear uh and and you know that these are spyrexes because you saw a couple exodus people using spyrexes at the coliseum fights earlier in the game in jandu and it ends up the like an explosion sends a bunch of people flying Zhao nobly sacrifices his life so that everyone else can escape 
but before escaping, he apologizes to Elise, wishes that she would be happy, and tells her that he is the bandit that killed her parents, which must have been a, a, a bit of a mind blow to poor Elise. Um, <laughs> but uh, everyone gets scattered to the winds in a big explosion, and Jude wakes up in a tundra area with a beautiful flying spirit lady floating over her over him, and she identifies herself as Muse. And oh boy, we maybe should do an entire podcast on Muse. But <laughs> but because uh, she has some issues. But in, in in general, she offers Jude. Uh, she says, Jude, I, we can if we work together, we can get out of here together. Do you? I'm a spirit. Do you want to tether with me? And Jude agrees, not really realizing how you know crucial and intimate uh, tethering is, but but ba- basically. Muse becomes his uh, his his floating uh, spirit guardian for uh, for this part of the game, and you, you can summon Muse in battle. She attacks with her hair turning into spikes, which is kind of cool. Uh, and but but bas- but she implies that she's a spirit, and if she tethers to him, they can both get stronger and get out of there together. And she has a she has a very sort of serene attitude. She's very smiley. She's a little creepy. Um, <laughs> But uh, and and I w- I did not trust her from the beginning. But it, it, but Jude, because maybe he is always willing to give help and ex- and and uh, and accept help, goes along with her immediately. But uh, as you ex- escape through the tundra, you meet up with the rest of your party. Uh, I think you meet Mila last. Yes, yeah, I mean I was in um, yeah. a fire cave with that's Mila right and Rowan and Leia. And, you know, I think this was another intentional game design thing because the last weapon I had unlocked right around item shop level 50 or so for Jude was a fire, a fire fist. And for Mila was an ice sword. Ah. So I think I think maybe the game intended, oh, by now you should have these weapons unlocked and you'll be able to kick ass with them in the areas that they're in, Uh, which I'm thinking that's what happened, because those are the exact weapons I had equipped with them when uh, this part of the story happened. And also, as, as a side note, Mila's sword, the Vorpal sword, is an important uh, plot item sword in Tales of Fantasia from way back oh. in 95. Oh, okay. Hmm. Wow. Do you remember that? Cool. No, I do not. It's been too long. <laughs> but uh, you, eventually, your, your, your two groups team up. I think I think it was the... Uh, I think it was Elise, Alvin, and Jude on one side, and then Leia, Rowan, and Mila on the other side. Is that mm-hmm. is that how you remember it? That yeah. sounds right. Yeah. Did any, what, what happened with uh with Mila in that lava area, which is right next to the ice area, which again spirit climbs. Uh, 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 Audra, what was that part of the game like? Because I didn't experience it myself. Um, basically, it's more. It was actually kind of talking more about Leia's doubts and stuff about her wanting to be a nurse if she wanted to be a nurse and stuff. It was an interesting. It was more Leia centric, I thought. Oh, I wouldn't have minded that. Yeah, that sounds better. <laughs> and they run into some Exodus soldiers and they get attacked by a monster that they have to defeat later. That also happens on Jude's ha- on Jude's yeah. half. You know, that's interesting to me because Zach mentioned that a lot of Leia's development is in uh, is in side quests or sub stories. I mean, you know, maybe maybe I have Yakuza brain right now because I'm calling them all sub stories. I wouldn't have minded that additional dialogue and character development out of Leia. No, I actually really liked it. I liked her kind of bonding with Mila in a way. Yeah, that, that that's great. Did, did Mila have her ice sword by this point or did you? Uh... Yes. Oh, good, good. Because I, I bet that was really helpful for that, <laughs> for, for that section. And I think I put fire guard on all of them. 
Yeah, makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes uh, uh, Leia is also the character in your party that will randomly throw boosts onto 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 the rest of your team. So um, she can help with elemental defense too. But uh, and anyway, after the two groups unite just outside of Kenbalar, uh, they also meet Gaius and his team. And they, you basically all mutually acknowledge that Exodus is the threat right now. Uh, Gilland wants to, uh, Gilland is destroying, uh, is, is, is destroying Riza Maxia with his, by using the Lance of Exodus. And then Alvin tells everyone that, uh, yes, he has Exodus ties and he knows Gilland. And uh, what they're doing is, is probably trying to harvest as much mana and spirit energy from Riza Maxia as they can, because the, uh, because the, the the people of Exodus are from are refugees from uh, from Olympias, which is the uh, the nation on the other side of the schism. Oh, um, sorry. They do actually say that Mila knows about the schism and Olympias and stuff in that part. But oh, they, uh, she's like she didn't want to tell everybody until they were all together again. Right, and I, I, I think well because she knew that that uh, way back in Shandu, she mentions that she knows that Exodus is out to get her, mm. and uh, but I think that she was under orders or or knew that she wasn't supposed to tell people about the schism. Yeah. So, but 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 of course she told people about it a little bit after the schism was made visible to everyone. Yeah. But uh, regardless, your team you know, your team reconvenes. Um, you te- temporarily team up with King Gaius and the Chimeriad to uh, seize control of one of the Exodus airships and then go to their base, which was a abandoned cruise ship where a lot of the uh, Olympias refugees came from, presumably including Jude's father uh, is, is how they arrived to uh, mm-hmm. um, Teresa mm-hmm. Maxia 20 years earlier. And also, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to put this as a side note. Uh, were any of you bothered when you learned as I did, maybe through a skit or a sub story that Jude is only 15, but is in medical school. <laughs> Yeah, it's like some serious Dookie Hauser energy. Yeah, I, I thought I seriously thought that because because we know that Mila's twenty because she was created by Maxwell as a to, uh, in the form of a human baby twenty years earlier. So I said, mm-hmm. okay, Mila's twenty. Jude is maybe also twenty, or maybe he's nineteen. No, Jude's fifteen, and they and they're like letting him be in charge of patients at a university hospital. It's like like this this bothered me a de- little bit. Screaming at him about being an adult. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like okay, now I get why he's so hung up on being an adult. It's because he's fifteen. That's ah. Uh. I didn't like that at all. I, I am on the record as not enjoying children characters in video games. Maybe that's why I didn't use Elise as much as I use Rowan in this game. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I just kind of thought it was like RPG logic. Well, no, part of it is definitely RPG logic. But uh, <laughs> and, and and if like every character in an RPG is sixteen or seventeen, like a Persona game, it doesn't bother me much at all. But when you have but when you have grown ass adults like Alvin and Rowan in your team, but also. Uh, like little girls like Elise on your team. I don't like that. And I liked it even less when I, when I realized that Jude was 15 instead of 20, that, that just, mm-hmm. maybe it's ageist of me, but I do. I, I don't like little kids in RPGs. <laughs> uh, so that was, uh, that made me a little, also a little uncomfortable for, uh, like with, uh, um, with, with Jude's obvious fixation on Mila. It's like, it's like, it's like, dude, you're 15. <laughs> I, I feel less okay about this now. <laughs> this is like like this romance I, now that now i know why this game doesn't have a lot of romance in it it's because it might be statutory 
<sighs> okay, okay, got that out of my system. Thank you. Um, but so uh, yeah, back to this uh, evil cruise ship. How about that? Um, <laughs> you go through this dungeon with Gaius's team serving as a distraction, and your team serving as a sort of an infiltration team. And you both end up confronting Gilland and Celsius. Uh, Celsius, I think you meet earlier on the battlefield, but she is the ice spirit in a bunch of Tales games. Um, so it's a little bit weird that she's been like that she's like an enslaved villain uh, uh, for this part of the game, but she's under Gillen's control. Uh, he identifies her as a Spyrex, which is basically a being created from a spirit fossil. So uh, from the dead, from the, uh, you know, crystallized remains of spirits to become a very powerful spirit that generates spirit energy and mana on its own without, uh, w- without needing a human host or a, or, or, or drawing from other spirits. So it's like a, it's like a self-sustained spirit that's as powerful as a great spirit like Mila or, or Musée, which is, which is crazy because this whole game is about, you know, how Rizomaxia uses human and spirit cooperation for their, for their technology and magic. While Olympios uses Spyrexes, uh, magic devices that, uh, that kill spirits whenever you use one. So like for, for Spyrites like like Celsius to be a compromise in between that is a, is a game changer. And in act four, you meet some, you you meet some uh, uh, spyrite engineers that uh, that confirm that basically, but so so you're left with a a, a double boss fight here of um, Gillian Gilland and Celsius linked together versus your team, that uh, is, isn't as hard as some other linked battles in the game, but you know is is a pretty good boss fight I felt, but I was mostly just shocked that I had to fight an evil Celsius when in previous games Celsius Celsius would be like ah yes I will test your power and then I will lend you my and then I will lend you my power, but. No, not not quite the same here. This was also the most obnoxious dungeon in the entire game. <laughs> the volume of backtracking and back and forthing on like very narrow corridors where I could not avoid fights. Yeah, there's a lot a of dead a lot of dead ends and yeah. like and like uh, steel bridges going over paths, so the map looks like a I don't know looks like a spider web, uh, but but with some pat- paths going over or under the others. I, I didn't think it was that obnoxious but uh i i don't know maybe i, I i've developed dungeon tolerance over the decades <laughs> that's fair yeah i mean it wasn't the worst i've definitely i've definitely played worse but i was like man is this over yet it's like and i didn't usually <laughs> think that with the dungeons in this game i usually thought they were like reasonable length i'm trying to think of you know i, th- I think the dungeon i liked the least in this game was fort gondola just because mm. there was also backtracking and you had to like find a key to unlock these doors and some doors were locked and had dead ends and some weren't like I, mm-hmm. I, I, I thought, I thought that one was pretty frustrating. Um, and that while the, while the cruise ship was, I don't know, it, it was, it was not nearly as obnoxious as the cruise ship in persona five. So that's something <laughs> that's also true. <laughs> but uh, back to tales of exilia, uh, the Gilland and Celsius fights ends with, uh, Mila, Mila about to destroy the Lance of Kresnik, but when she's about to do so, uh, the entire party is beset by some kind of gravity energy holding them back. And it, it ends with Mila... Uh, I, th- I believe Mila turns into spirit energy to overload the Lance of Kresnik and have it explode, is I believe what happens. Uh, and It and, wasn't very clear. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it's a little unclear. Uh, Audrey, you were on Mila's uh, storyline, so maybe you can clear it up for us in a second. But uh, more importantly, the culprit behind this, and now, now that Gillen and, his, and Celsius are both deceased, is none other than a musée. You're the spirit that had been helping Jude 
it turns it's out Mila's sister it's mila's sister yeah they they called themselves sisters earlier because they were both created by maxwell um uh but <sighs> some of this is more clear later but muse was basically maxwell's fixer she was on the olympia side of side of the schism uh erasing any knowledge of the schism uh ever existing uh be, be after um some olympians broke through the schism which was uh, which was gilland and alvin and uh jude's father and and another and basically all of exodus uh uh 20 years earlier so musee was created to clean up the mess around the schism and and make sure no one in olympias knew about it and so musee's orders from the beginning were eliminate anyone that knows about the schism <laughs> so she was basically waiting for her moment after after the lance of Kresnik was destroyed to wipe out your entire party and everyone in the army and everyone in Gaius's people that possibly knew about the schism. So she is becomes a goddess of destruction for the end of act three and beginning of act four, which is quite a character turn. And, uh, and at, and at first I was, I believed she was being set up as the final antagonist of the, uh, of the entire game, but I was only half right. But, uh, but Audra, I have some questions for you. Mm hmm. Um, during this period, Mila appears to die or become spirit energy or something, and Jude falls into a depression for a while, eventually talking with Leia uh, gets him out of the depression, and uh, a bunch of stuff happens. But um, wh what happens to Mila in this section of the game? Um, the Great Four somehow pull her spirit back at the last second, I believe. So she ends up becoming, like, she has a spirit form in what's basically, I guess, the spirit world or realm. But everyone kind of looks, it looks the same as the real world, the physical world. So she basically wanders there with the great four, but has like amnesia. So she's not quite herself during it. And you find out that Muse is there and she's rounding up all these women that could possibly have been her mila to kill them all off so that she can silence anyone who knows about the schism basically and there's a one-on-one -on -one battle against musee here as well right yes. that i've heard is insanely difficult <laughs> yes i had to re retry it a couple times oh boy you, um, basically she decides she's going to kill the the great four cover up that mila's actually there but musee says she's going to kill them all because they serve their purpose and they okay. knew about the schism too so mila follows them to where muse is waiting and then they all become her summons i guess mm -hmm. they tether to her and they choose to fight with mila and that's where you battle muse and it's a really hard fight <laughs> basically you can spam the summons and actually really eventually win it okay yeah because when um Mila eventually rejoins the party, and, and this is what Zach and I experienced. She comes back with the four great four spirit summons that she had at the very, very beginning of the game. So mm -hmm. I, I guess what happened was Mila used her spirit energy to overload the Lance of Kresnik to, to explode it. But at that moment, probably what happened was the great four spirits were freed of the Lance of Kresnik. They saved Mila's spirit, and then in the spirit world, Mila sort of, you know makes herself more whole again with the help of the great four. Is that, is that a, a fair assessment? That is pretty accurate. 
All right. All right. Okay. That, 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 that jives what I was mostly thinking, but I, I definitely had some, you know, film reel missing <laughs> uh, parts of the story there. So on, on, Mil- on, uh, on Jude's side, um, he is recovering in Hamel with Leia. Yeah, I think in the shack where uh, where Elise was locked up in the past, and he is in total dis- he's totally despondent and in despair because he believed that Mila is gone for he believes that Mila is gone forever. But uh, Leia basically tells him to get over himself, and right when he's starting to recover, got, uh, uh, Alvin finds them, and he's under Muse's orders to exterminate them. So basically, Muse is like tells Alvin I'll spare you from my uh reign of of terror here if you can kill uh Leia and Jude and Rowan and Elise. Ooh. So uh R- Rowan is able to expertly hide himself in Elise because that's what Rowan does. But uh Alvin comes uh to to kill Leia and Jude while Jude is in is is a, a sad lump. But uh and he shoots Leia in the back. Which, which you know, shocks both Alvin and Jude somehow. Al, Al, like as he shoots her, Alvin even says, "Hey, hey I, I didn't mean to," and he's shaking. But then that invo- that results in a one on one duel between Jude and Alvin, um, and so Jude beats some sense into him. But uh, and, but then Alvin leaves, and Jude and Leia meet up with Rowan and Elise shortly afterwards, and they have a discussion where they arrive at the conclusion, Mila wasn't exactly. M- maxwell's incarnation on earth she's more like maxwell's agent because she was she was she was uh, created to draw out exodus so that muse could kill all the people that knew about the schism like uh mila and muse were both basically created by maxwell to clean up maxwell's mess uh mm-hmm. from the from the exodus uh uh schism break and w- when they when they work this out together they conclude that maxwell must exist and must be somewhere so and the way to get to him must be the sacred Maxwell shrine behind uh, uh, the village that Mila's from, uh, whose name Niakara, right? So, so everyone, the, the whole party, which is uh, in, this is the Jude part of the story. So it's, it's everyone besides Mila and Alvin goes over there. You climb a small dungeon mountain, a small mountain dungeon, and you face uh, Pressa, uh, Agria, and Alvin again. And uh, it looks like it's going to be a four-on-three boss battle, but then at the last moment, Alvin switches sides again because he's the king of anime betrayals and, des- and decides that the-, that the side he wants to be on is your side, basically for good this time. So you have a final battle. Uh, oh, and, but on the way there, you have to fight that dumbass Ivar one more time. Good Lord. I'm, I mean, Zach, you, <laughs> Zach, you mentioned... That your least favorite character in this game was probably Jude's dad. I would counter; it's probably Ivar. <laughs> Ivar's that, pretty rough. Yeah, <laughs> he is. He is so. He is so annoying with his poses and his fixation on Melia and his hatred of Jude. I, and but I was mostly accepting him as a comedy character. But then he is the stupid idiot that uh, after Mila entrusts the key to him, he uses the key on the Lance of Kresnik at the yeah, uh, at, at, at 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 the was it was at the at, at the swamp area uh-huh. like right right after you fight. Uh, you fight King Gaius there that uh, that fires the Lance of Kresnik and brings all the airships and soldiers in from from Olympias. So, yeah, like <laughs> Ivar. OK, I <laughs> I was I could not have been happier to beat his ass at the at Mila's shrine in this part of the game. 
I but, mean, at least he has principles, I guess. He's not very he smart has, about them, but he has <laughs> principles. But like, like he, like, like part of his jealousy against Jude is because Exodus was sending him carrier pigeons just to stoke him up into a froth, <laughs> to, so that so that he would uh, be a perfect pawn in their plans. Like, whatever. I I, I do not like Ivar. I was for a second, I was worried he was going to join the party. It's like I I would prefer him him be an enemy. But uh, so anyway, you finally get to beat Ivar's ass. You go to the top of the mountain. Alvin switches sides again, and you fight uh, Pressa and Agria together. And tragically, both of them fall to their deaths afterwards. Mm-hmm. And uh, like like Alvin tries to grab Pressa's hand and misses, but uh, while Leia succeeds in grabbing Agria's hand, and while it looks like that she might be able to pull Agria back up, like Agria who is just annoyed that Leia has a sunny, optimistic personality, deliberately lets go and then falls to her death. That is uh, quite a way to make a point. Yeah. (laughs) I I feel like neither of them got as much character development as the other important heroes and villains in the game, uh, Pressa and Agria specifically. So I was a little sad that they went that way, but also like... mm. Like they could have done more with them, but uh, but at least they're out of Actually, my hair now. The Alvin and pre- Pressa subplot. Yeah, I wish we had gotten some more of that. Mm-hmm. Right after that boss fight, you uh, travel to the spirit realm and uh, meet none other than, none other than Maxwell, who looks just like Maxwell from Tales of Fantasia in 1995, uh, and it turns out has been a giant jerk up in his ivory tower for two thousand years. Uh, he he created Riza Mal- Maxia two thousand years ago to be a haven for humans and spirits working in harmony, while uh, the entire world around them, uh, Olympias mostly, was drained of their mana. Just, uh, basically, he abandoned one world and uh, and doesn't care even about the world he created. Uh, and when the breach happened twenty years ago, he created Muse to be his fixer on Olympias and Mila to be his to be his. Uh, representative in Riza Maxia to draw attention uh, to, to, to draw the exodus out of hiding. So, and, and Mila is referred to as just bait or, or, uh, or a useless bait by, by Muse or Maxwell multiple times, mm-hmm. which is really disheartening. So, yeah. uh, but, uh, but Jude has a bit of an epiphany decides that uh, the real solution is for, is to, is is to stop everything Ma- uh, Maxwell was doing, and he does. And he doesn't care if he's following Mila or doesn't have direction or what or whatnot. He is ready to punch a king and or a god in the face, and he does exactly that with a flying Superman punch straight through Maxwell's shield, which was a pretty great moment, I gotta say. And I can't remember like this guy shows up at this moment as well, right? And he's kind of pulled between them a little bit because like doesn't guys show up with Musée at this point? Is yeah, right? he, he shows up on the mountain because he's okay. also trying to get to the spirit realm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Preza and Agria were supposed to slow you guys to slow you down so that guys can move on. Um, I think you also fight Wingle in the spirit realm uh, a little bit after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the confront the confrontation with Maxwell is is mostly just you, uh, just your team in Maxwell, and then Gaius arrives just after with Muse in tow because Muse after you fight Muse uh, on the, on the, on the airship uh, earlier, I uh, maybe I, I should have mentioned this earlier. Like while Muse is killing people left and right, searching for people that know about the schism um, you, you, you fight her and, uh, and, and win because uh, 
uh, when uh, Gaius's people are trying to get the Lance of Kresnik up out from the bottom of the ocean. And and what happens is uh, uh, Musée fall like falls into her version of despair because she, she she has her orders and she knows what she's supposed to do, but she hasn't heard anything new from Maxwell in twenty years. He basically just sort of summoned her, gave her gave her her orders, and never spoke to her again. So Musée is sort of doubting Maxwell's mission or if he even cares about her. So after you defeat Maxwell, and he seems like he might go along with uh, and, and and mila magically reappears to help to help you defeat mm-hmm. maxwell uh and when it appears that maxwell has sort of taken your side and may want to uh destroy the schism and and have the people of rizomaxia and olympios solve the the mana and spyrix problem th- at that moment gaius shows up with musee they capture maxwell and uh, and tie him to the lance of kresnik and, and w- which they can bring along because Muse has uh, has teleportation and space time powers. Essentially, what happens is uh, now Muse and Gaius are tethered together, just as M- Muse was tethered to Jude for a while, and she has decided that Gaius is now her king instead mm-hmm. of Maxwell, and be- because she was searching for direction, while Gaius was very driven and had a- and had specific goals. It- it- they're like a dark reflection of Jude and Mila. M- mm-hmm. Mila has these great goals. Jude joins her out of respect and and perhaps attraction to her, but eventually their goals align and they're a team. But but now we have this evil version of Mila and Jude in Gaius and Musée. Uh, and Gaius is really determined to have... Uh, he, he, he thinks Jude and Mila are fascinating. He keeps asking them to be like his new vassals or, or maybe be part of the new Chimeriad or something. Uh, but now it's clear that the the final battle is going to be is going to be Jude and Mila versus Gaius and Musée. And uh, Musée uses her space-time powers to send you over to Olympios. And Act 4 of the game is figuring out how to get back to the spirit realm from Olympias to, t- to take down Gaius and Musée. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, you said that Gaius is evil, and I'm not sure that but, I would well, go that far. No, go ahead. I, I, I did say he was an evil version of Moot, uh, or a dark reflection of Mila and Jude. Yeah. But, but calling him evil is wrong. I would agree with that. Yeah, because like he um, and as your conversations with him go along, um, it's clear that he thinks that um, because Olympios, basically the whole idea is that they want to uh, what Exodus is trying to do is pull the mana from Riza Maxia to Olympios, which we discover is without mana. So it's like a dying world. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's like, no, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to protect here. And everything we know about Spyrex is. Um, are you know so negative in terms of like throwing off the balance um but you know when we get to olympias and we realize they have like like celsius they have other methods maybe of having self-sustaining energy um and, and this guys can't quite see it uh, like he's trying to protect something and he has like a vision for what he thinks is going to work and mila has a vision for what she thinks is going to work and i wouldn't necessarily consider guys as evil just you know worse than mila's yeah, I, I think that's the right way to do it. Um, there, Gaius is not evil, but he's extremely driven, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, the game is not really good versus evil. It's more Gaius's ideals versus Mila's ideals, mm-hmm. which and, I like. Yeah, yeah. In terms of JRPGs, I think it, it deals with the idea of how we pursue ideals and how we discover ideals in really interesting ways. Um, but I think that the difference is that they actually go to Olympios and they manage to empathize with those people in ways that you know, we wouldn't have earlier, which I think um, 
it was really well done. You can tell, I think, that like the Olympias portion was supposed to be longer. Yeah, you spend so little time there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Act Three and Four combined are like shorter than Act Two. So I think mm-hmm. that uh, I think that maybe they were just rushing to finish this game and, and might have intended to flesh the Olympias section out more. Mm-hmm. I think they were trying to get it out for the anniversary, I think. Yeah, and, and they actually just missed the anniversary. Because <laughs> 2010 was the uh, 15th anniversary of Tales. And this game ended up coming out in 2011 in Japan and 2013 worldwide. But this game throws you some curveballs. But I, I don't think they're unfair curveballs this time. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like at first, King, we, um, King Noctigal is the central antagonist. And he's a, despot, a despotic ruler that uh, that, you know was really affected by the loss of his sister. And they, but it, but it, uh, but after you defeat ha- defeat him, you, we get Swerve number 1 where the real villain is Gilland, who was Noctigal's advisor. Gilland is the one that that made uh uh, uh, Ra- uh the kingdom of Rashagal build the lance of Kresnik and uh and Gilland's uh ambition from the beginning was to break a hole through the schism so that people from Olympias could invade and they can harvest Rizamaxia for spirit energy and human mana. They basically basically destroy one world so his world can survive, which is not exactly the same as a few other Tales of games, but some Tales games do have this idea of a dying world needs to needs, you know, to be sustained by a health by the by a healthier world. And and Tales of Eternia Tales of Fantasia, Tales of Symphonia, and to a degree, Tales of Arise all have this two separate worlds um, s- a structure where one world uh, is is feeding off the other, and w- which you know would be spoilers to uh, to to over explain any of those. But uh, and and I accidentally kept thinking of the schism as the Orbis barrier, which is the name of the barrier that separates the two worlds in Tales of Eternia, which is you know RPG brain affecting me, but. Wait, while you're in Olympias, but, uh, well, no, before you go to Olympias, when you're talking to Maxwell before Gaius's intervention, Maxwell does say if he removes the schism from the world, then it will generate so much mana that it could sustain, uh, a, a united Rizamaxia and Olympias probably for 10 years or so. Uh, he, he says like several years, perhaps a decade in his old man voice, but so so that becomes Mila and Jude's new goal. All right, we're going to dissolve the barrier. We're going to uh and and we're going to work together with Olympias to try and find a two world a a one world solution where that that restores spirits and mana to Olympias and to the whole world. But Gaius's solution is absolutely not uh I mean he, now Gaius and Muse's solution, I guess. No, absolutely not. We're going to preserve Rizamaxia. I'm going to be the king of Riza Ma- of all of Rizamaxia, and we're going to destroy every single Spyrex on e- Rizamaxia and Olympias so that they can never threaten the spirit energy um, of Rizamaxia ever again. Like th- Those are the two goals for the end game leading up to the final battle. Uh, and uh, while you're on Olympias, you, uh, you meet some... Um, some Spyrex engineers that have de- that that uh, basically determine uh, create Spyrite technology, and and you even see some cute little you know some cute little like animal like spirits mm-hmm. that are uh, in the in that laboratory that uh, and when, and when Jude sees them he's fascinated by them. It's like wait a second, so this this isn't drawing from spirit energy or killing spirits like Spyrex does. This is creating a semi artificial life form that doesn't that. Uh, is that does not waste mana or spirits. So, so like 
uh, and and Celsius was an enslaved spy, right? And on the way to um, that, the boss fight in that dungeon is against Volt, the uh, greater the a spyrite created from the uh, uh, greater spirit of lightning. And Celsius and Volt are summons in older in older tales of games, as are the great four: Efreet, uh, uh, Sylph, Gnome, and Undine. Uh, also familiar to fans of Secret of Mana. Uh, but so so there is so Mila and Jude have this t- this one world solution and through Spyrites maybe a solution to uh, to like preserving the magic technology of Olympias, but uh, but uh, Gaius and Muse aren't having any of it and uh, and and with some help from the people at the laboratory you you are and and some surprise help from Gaius who gives you a small knife that will allow you to cut a hole into a dimension and go back to the spirit realm, basically setting up the final confrontation. Uh, so that was a lot of me monologuing and I apologize, but uh, what are your thoughts on this? Like b- basically this game creating a magic related environmental problem and then creating two, <laughs> two quote unquote solutions and basically having this game almost be uh, not a political debate, but a but a but a fundamental debate on how to solve the the rehealing and restructuring of the world. Like Zach, you talked about it a little bit already, but uh, this is a pretty interesting alternative to a good versus evil conflict. I you know I think it's a little tidy that they just happen to suddenly have like you know a self sustaining way of dealing with it when. Maxwell says he created Riza Maxia 2000 years ago, right, to try to maintain some semblance of what it could be. And now that this conflict is happening, they've suddenly figured out a way of dealing with it. But that aside, um, I do like that it, you know, a lot of times I feel like, um, you know, like the Shinras of the world, um, like those corporations that are just taking and taking and taking from the planet are so evil, right? Uh, whereas here, I feel like it does a good job of showing how people's lives depend on the technology um, on Olympios um, and how you have to sort of understand where they're coming from. And like they show, you know, like basically like Mila's um, setup is basically like a a version of that um, on her leg. So it turns out she's been using the technology that she doesn't like um, and like um, Alvin's cousin. And so I think that it. I, I wish that we had gotten to spend a little more time in Olympios. Like it, it'd been maybe five, 10 hours longer. And like, it sort of developed that idea a little bit more, but I do like the notion of it a lot. And I think it's really well done. I mean, I even like that with, when you confront Gilland for the last time, he actually says that it wasn't him who killed off the people in Olympia, killed off the spirit energy at first initially either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's kind of an interesting morality yeah his attitude was like was don't blame me for the mistakes of 2000 years of civilization mm-hmm. uh like gilland was seeking a solution to uh the energy to to the uh, i guess the in the let's let's call it the spirit energy problem on olympios gilland's solution was to harvest spirit energy and mana from all of rizamaxia and, but in doing so, he developed technology, Spyrix and Asperix. The Asperix is the thing on Mila's leg. And uh, and Spyrite technology that could be a longer-term solution. So mm-hmm. this game isn't isn't entirely technology bad, uh, shamanism good. It's, yeah. it's it's more that, like, technology and, 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 and ex- exploiting the Earth 
and misusing technology is what created this problem. The solution is complicated, and there might not be one solution, but technology might be able to have a positive impact as well. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 and the spirate stuff doesn't come totally out of nowhere. Like, like, uh, I mean, we were introduced to Celsius, and yeah. it's, and it's indicated that uh, Celsius was able to be summoned because of a combination of Spyrex technology and booster technology, w- which was helped along by Tipo's memory chip that they stole way, way earlier in the game. So, like the, the sort of the spirit energy and Spyrex technology combining allows for a way to preserve spirits that and instead of killing spirits i think mm. that introducing spirit technolo- technology isn't totally out of left field and it, yeah, it's just it's, it's, it's there to I, I i feel like it's there to provide a spark of optimism because uh because i mean the game does end with uh olympias is not erased from the earth like the like olympias and Rizamaxia are, are both survive and uh but we'll get into this in the in the in the ending in a few minutes. Uh, like like going, you return to the spirit world. You have to fight uh, Wingle one more time, um, and and I, I'm pretty sure he dies too because so the, all the Chimeriad are, are wiped out by now. Uh, and you confront, you have to split up uh, through the spirit realm. So for a while, you're either only Jude or only Mila. Then then you're uh, they reunite. So it's Jude and Mila versus uh, Gaius and Muse. Uh, and this, to me, was probably the hardest fight in the game, just because Gaius and Musee go into over-limit mode so easily. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. and and while you, whatever character you're controlling can probably free-run around and avoid them, uh, like, when Gaius goes into over-limit, he's guaranteed to kill one member. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you... I, and uh, But your party slowly rejoins you as the battle goes along, so it can eventually be four versus six, unless uh, Alvin definitely dies, which certainly happened to me. Um but uh, it, it's a. I thought it was a pretty tough boss fight, but uh, overall, at, at, le- at least a at, at least an, an exciting uh, challenge. Which mm-hmm. uh, which is you know the, the two ideals or the, the two unusually driven characters, Mila and Gaius, uh, clashing with their with their devoted followers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a little unfair to call J- uh, Jude a devoted follower, but he's he sort of embraced his role as being there for Mila. So. I guess he is a devoted follower, but not, but not, <laughs> but I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's sort of come into his own um, at this point. Finally, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Muse was still trying to find herself. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah, like I said, all of these characters are sort of either extremely driven, like Mila or Gaius, or searching for a purpose which is everyone else. Like Leia even mentions to uh, Rowan at one point that she's in love with Jude. And everyone else probably knows it, but she doesn't know what to do. Uh, what she, and she knows that she doesn't want to be in Laronde her whole life, but she isn't sure what to. Uh, she isn't sure what she wants to be. Um, so for now, she's gonna just try to be there for Jude. So like all of all of the f- four the five main characters, other than Mila, are directionless or without purpose in some way, and the game ends with them, you know, finding their place uh, in each of their respective ending scenes, which I which I thought were very sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, but Muse is, I mean, the poor thing. She's just completely lost. Uh, she feels like Maxwell's abandoned her, so she, uh, so she connects to Gaius's group, and she's definitely a good asset for him. But I, I feel like she's a, a suffering villain, and not necess- and not really a mega maniacal villain. I mean, even Gaius kind of feels bad for her mm-hmm. at certain points. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, 
It's it it was an interesting choice for a final villain. Um, I think the the game makes interesting cho- choices with all of these characters, and and I think it's a little telling that uh, like like Zach mentioned that uh, you you would have liked if uh, we had spent an extra ten hours or so uh, in Olympios. I, I think this game is not over long. I, my my playtime was right at thirty hours or so, but I wouldn't have minded if it was a little longer. If they gave us another town or dungeon or two of each, I would have been okay with it because. I mean, I mean, this game sets out what it wants to do and uh, and, and makes some cool choices and gives us good characters and dialogue and good mm-hmm. side contact. Sorry, good side content. But I wouldn't have minded a little more. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I think that sometimes um, Alvin's betrayals uh, and back and forth could be could use a little more time to develop. But in particular, I just feel like the game wants us to sympathize with Olympios and I do, but I think they could have spent even just five more hours there um, would have been a good, a good plan. And I think that was originally their intention. And I think that Zillia two is sort of supposed to fill that gap in. I think I haven't played Zillia two. That's my impression of it, that a lot of it takes place on Olympios. So that would make sense. Yeah. My understanding of Zillia two, which I also have not played is uh you, you can revisit a lot of if maybe maybe all of the locations from Zillia one, but a lot of it takes place in a big city in Olympios. Mm-hmm. It takes place a couple years after Zillia one and is mostly about care or at least partially about characters like continuing to try and find a solution or, mm-hmm. or like or reconciling what happens at the end of Exilia one. Because what, what happens is uh, Mila takes on the powers of Maxwell and becomes the new king of spirits. Uh, she officially is Maxwell now, instead of just believing that she's Maxwell. Well, when re- when really she was a, a human created by Maxwell w- uh, w- with the powers of the four to accompany her. Uh, and it, it seems like Jude and Mila may never meet again, but he feels her presence somewhat. And and now they're all working towards a better future. And Jude mm-hmm. is throwing himself into spyrite research because he believes that is that could be a long term solution. So I and I and I think in Zillia you do there are other spyrites in it uh, because they like uh, like we still have Luna Aska and Shadow could be potential or or Rem be potential summons in uh, in in Zillia two and I, so I'm sure one of them at least features partially in it but I, but I, but Zillia two is does have a new main character that wasn't in Exilia one but is basically dealing with the fallout of Exilia one but I also know that there's a uh, uh, like you're saddled with a giant debt at the beginning and you have to run around yeah. <laughs> a, a, a big, a big city doing side quests to clear, to, to clear your debt. I know that there's a cat that has a dedicated side quest that, but a lot of people really love that cat. Uh, and I know that the main character ledger uh, has a transforming weapon. So it's like you can go between like uh, sword mode and hammer mode or, or something. But so parts of Exilia two really interest me. And I may or may not have very, very recently bought a copy of Exilia Two from my from my local from my local used game store. Uh, uh, I may have to. Um, well, you, if you go to eStarland.com, at least one of their copies is gone now. <laughs> uh, give us a sponsor, please, eStarland. I love you. Uh, um, but uh, Zach, this is your third Tales game, and Audra, this was your first Tales game. Uh, are, are you interested in exploring more of the series now, or do you think it's time for a break? I mean, I, I've I've heard for years from you, Alana, lots of people, that Abyss is the one that I really should play. Um, and I think that is probably next. Like I, said, I, I spent like 10 hours on Vesperia, and I didn't like it as much as others, I think. 
Um, I just wasn't quite driving with the, the combat and the TP management I thought was a pain, but I, those are the two that I really want to play. Um, Zillia two, I'd be curious. I mean, apparently it's like a refined version of the combat here. The story apparently isn't as good. Um, yeah, I'd be I, curious I, to play that one as well. I, I should mention, I have heard that Exilia two is almost twice as long and has mm. an incredible amount of side content. Like, mm. uh, but, but because the side content in part, uh, is emphasized very heavily in that game. It, it story is not as is not as interesting or effective. Mm-hmm. That's what I've heard. But yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I've played enough tales tales of games to know that I like them, so I would like to play more of them. I definitely want to play more of them after having played Zelia. I really enjoyed it, and I kind of I have to stop myself from diving right into the sequel just to see how, what it's about and see that cat. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I think I want to try Rise, and I actually have a copy of Vesperia now, so I definitely think I'm going to be giving more Tales games a shot. Uh, I mean, those are both great places to start. I, I played Arise last year and really, really liked it. Um, my, my two favorite Tales games are two that Zach mentioned, Abyss and Vesperia. <laughs> so I, I even though you run out of TP a lot in both of those games, I think they're both really well playing, uh, really worth playing. Um, I, I just love the uh, two of the main characters in well, I love a lot of the main characters in Vesperia. It was part of why I like that one so much. And I still have a lot of affection for the original Fantasia, but I definitely don't recommend playing that on the GBA version. If you can emulate the PS1 or Super or Super Famicom version of that thing, if you decide to go uh, to go test Fantasia. But uh, I know what my, I mean, because my Tales interest has been renewed via Zillia and Arise, I think I would like to challenge that... Uh, ps3 copy of grace's f that's been on my shelf for <laughs> seven years or so so mm-hmm. i think i think that's gonna happen um and i know that there's a vita version of uh of the vita version of hearts came out worldwide but i think the vita version of innocence didn't and i didn't like innocence but i haven't tried hearts so yeah vita tales of hearts ps3 tales of grace's f th- that's what i'm looking at next um so yeah, I guess this is at least ex- reignited or ignited Tales' interest in all three of us, and we wouldn't have minded if Tales of Exilia One was a little longer, which I think I think is as good an illustration as any that all three of us enjoyed this game, and uh, and I'm definitely uh, I was definitely thrilled to be able to talk about it with both of you. I because I, I I did binge a lot of Exilia a lot in the last couple of days to finish it in time for the podcast, but it wasn't a chore. This is an enjoyable RPG from mm-hmm. from its era. No, I agree. I mean, it's yeah. very rare that I would say a game of almost any era, though I want it to be longer. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's yeah, the opposite of what I usually game. say. Even, even Tales of Arise, which I really liked when I was in the end game could of have that. Been shorter. Yes, it's, it's like they really could have made some cuts here. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah. but uh, about but, half the dialogue. <laughs> like 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 I liked Arise, but I wished it was shorter. I liked Zillia and wished it was longer. That's uh, and I think that Exilia stands up with my favorites in the series, which are probably in some order, Abyss, Vesperia, and Fantasia. Now, now, Exilia is, it's, it, with apologies to Tales of Eternia and Tales of Symphonia, which people really like a lot. Like, Tales of Symphonia was the game that made Tales of popularity explode somewhat in the West. Uh, mm-hmm. With apologies to both of those games, I, I think I like, I think Exilia is in my big four now. But, uh, listeners, uh, maybe you have a different big four Tales of games than me. Maybe you, uh, or I should say failing to remember the names of several characters and place names in Tales of Exilia. But if you want to uh, check out more of our uh, retro encounter, we have full episodes on uh, 
on uh, I should say two, two episodes on Tales of the Abyss, two episodes on Tales of Vesperia, a best uh, which Tales game is the best episode, and a Tales of Fantasy draft episode that we've recorded in years past, as well as an episode called Dances with Wolf Team, the Wolf Studio that created Tales of Fantasia and then split into Namco Tales Studio and Triace uh, after after Tales of Fantasia was finished. So that, um, all three, all oh boy, one two seven of those episodes were really fun to record, and I hope that you've enjoyed these two episodes on Tales of Exilia. Uh, but what's come? That's the past of Retro Encounter. What's the future of Retro Encounter? We have all four episodes planned out for August. Uh, we're going to do one uh, sequel episode, Three Truths and a Lie, as a sort of an ice-breaking uh, social fun game episode with me and three new panelists. Um, Zach, you were on the original Three Truths and a Lie episode uh, two years ago. I was. It was a good time. Yeah, and hopefully this new one's a good time. We haven't recorded it yet, but it's, that's coming in early August. Also in early August, we're going to have a story versus gameplay episode talking about whether we think that story or gameplay is more important in RPGs, the, which are maybe the the video games that put the most emphasis on story. So I, 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 we haven't planned that one 100% out yet, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that we're going to finally do that episode because I think that episode has been on our ideas board since 2015. <laughs> so it'll be fun to cross that one off and but in addition to those two we're doing two episodes on final fantasy 13 so it's another month of me praying that my ps3 does not give me the yellow light of doom sometime in the next 30 days but uh listeners if you want to reach out to us about uh past future present episodes the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com you can also comment on rpg fans message boards or the facebook page or our twitter our youtube our twitch channels something streaming basically every day on twitch uh, and there's also three other fine podcasts on, that are part of the RPG Fan Podcast Network: uh, Random Encounter, Rhythm Encounter, and Phoenix Edge. The first is about the first about randomness, the second about music, and the third about current events. Uh, Phoenix Edge is currently on hiatus, but Random and Rhythm both uh, air every two weeks. You can review our uh, Retro Encounter or our other three podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. However, you in, uh, listen to a podcast, if there's a way to rate us, please rate us. We love feedback all the feedback. But if you want to give us feedback as individuals, not as a podcast, let's share how to do that. Starting with you, Zach. Uh, the best way is probably email ZachW at RPGFan.com, or you can find me on RPG Fans Discord at ZachW. Now, same question to you, Audra. Audra B at RPGFan.com. And listeners, for me, maybe you've heard me say this up to 300 times, but I am most easily found on Twitter. I am at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoca for Dogs at the times, and in RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. Y- you know, I-, I think that the weird spirit climb system in the game was only because of like spirit activity activity and Maxwell's uh, shenanigans. So I'm wondering if like is Finmont going to still have Eternal Night? don't think it does at the end when yeah, they so, show yeah day, day breaks over Fenmont. yeah i think when they show jude at the university it's not night maybe all right so maybe this won't have the same impact to residents of Fenmont, but listeners thank you good night and good luck